Welcome back to another episode of the After Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Rahaska. Here with me today is hospitality specialist, John Ansa. And our guest today is Hunter Johnson from Lucky Restaurant in Roanoke, Virginia. Hunter, how are you doing today? I'm great, guys. How are y'all? Doing well. Awesome, man. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Hunter. Appreciate yeah, it, man. We really, I really appreciate you having me on here. This is awesome. So do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Lucky Restaurant? How long have you been in operation, Hunter? Yeah, so we, uh, my business partner and I opened Lucky uh, almost 11 years ago. Um, we're in our 10th year, uh, and we started in uh, October of 2010. Awesome. And I know you mentioned you had a few other um, places, too. Would you like to speak on those a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so we, we opened Lucky in 2010, and then in 2015, we opened uh, our second restaurant called Fortunato, which is Lucky in Italian. It's a it's an Italian concept, and uh, we also have a little twenty five seat cocktail bar as well called Stellina, which is actually was our office at Fortunato, and we turned it into a cocktail bar. So that's really creative. Wow, what is that, um, Hunter? What does Stellina mean? So Stellina means little star. Okay. Um, so I have a I have a second. I have two. I have one partner at Lucky, and I have two at Fortunato, and uh, my. One of my part, my other partner, Fortunato, he used to work uh, at a restaurant in Boston called Stellina. Mm. And so, um, and the, he was really great friends with the chef. And unfortunately, the chef passed away. Um, and uh, it was kind of a tribute to uh, his friendship with uh, with that chef. So, oh, that's great. I thought maybe it had something to do with the Roanoke Star. Well, so it does tie into that as well. You know, I mean, we do have a giant star on top of the mountain uh, here in the middle of the city. Um, but, yeah, so there is a tie in with that as well. Very cool. OK, so originally, Hunter, what made you decide to um, start these businesses? Well, so it's I mean, do you have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll take the, you know, five minute, 10 minute high level uh, preview so uh so you know i'm i'm a musician and my business partner at lucky is a musician as well and uh you know we he was in a band in boston and i played in a band out of uh washington dc and we had the same booking agent you know we kind of knew of each other because of having the, a mutual the mutual booking agent and uh, i had moved uh from richmond back to roanoke and one day i saw this guy walking down the street and I was like, Oh man, that's uh that's JP from Chauncey, you know, okay. out of Boston. And so I walked up and he was like, man, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I just moved back. I moved back to Roanoke. Um, and he was like, funny, you should say that. I, uh, I, I just moved back here as well. My parents live in Salem, Virginia, which is like right around the corner. And he was like, Hey man, how about, uh, we get together and work on, write some songs together. It's like, great. And so we got together, we wrote a few songs. One thing leads to another. We, we got a placement deal with a company out of L.A. where they, you know, promote your music for TV and film. Hmm. And we landed a couple of really big placements. And uh, because of that, you know, we the song that we that got the placement and started getting some traction. So we started touring again. We had both kind of gotten off, stopped, you know, being touring musicians start touring again and our favorite thing to do was like when we were in new york we'd go out to eat and go out to drink you know and Mm -hmm. the thing that we realized was like you could go to a a restaurant in new york and get not only 
a great meal, but you could also get a great cocktail. And that was something that we didn't have here in Roanoke. And so we were like, why don't we do this in Roanoke? We thought it would give us time to play more music, which was like probably one of the dumbest ideas. That we, <laughs> wow. You know, it was like that, that wasn't the case, but, uh, anyway, so we, we opened lucky. We, you know, we, we based it off of a couple of our favorite restaurants. One was in LA. It's called animal. Um, and then, uh, there's, there's one in New York that we go to is uh, this restaurant group owned called Marlowe and sons and diner. And, uh, and then, you know, like the first like legit cocktail bar I went to was please don't tell. And so it was like, man, let's, let's do this in Roanoke. And that's how we, that's how it happened. Wow. Wow. So it's so, I mean, Hunter, really the, the, the music kind of led you guys together. And from there, it really kind of burst the idea of opening up a restaurant. Absolutely. Like, had we not been musicians, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys today. Um, you know, we wouldn't have either restaurant. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was because of music. And it's something that we still put a priority on because mm-hmm. we realized that had we not you know, been musicians, none of this would have happened. And so we feel like that we, it gives us both a lot of happiness and, um, keeps us sane. And so we, we continue to make records and send stuff to our, you know, the company in LA and they still shop our stuff around for us. So, wow. Yeah. That's great. I mean, Hunter, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not obviously not in the music trade, but it sounds like you, you and, and JP, uh, did the smart thing about realizing that, you know, you guys had some success musicians and how could you commoditize that and, and take that money and put it into investment. And, uh, that probably sets you apart from a lot of, a lot of musicians who just really try to make all their money just through music. Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I did it. I, I tried to be, you know, I, I, because of music, I've gotten to to do a lot of really amazing, cool things in my life and, you know, play, crazy shows and be around. I've been around the people that are super successful at the, at the game. You know, I never quite got there, you know, and however, because of that, you know, I learned how to hustle and, and opening the restaurant was very similar to being in a band. You know, you have a, you have a cast of characters that that make it happen. You know, head chefs are lead singers. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I'm a drummer, so I, you know, I'm like, uh, I'm like Switzerland. <laughs> I'm the guy that like, like keeps everything, everybody like content. And but uh, you know, it was interesting to to open the restaurants and see how the the two things kind of are very similar as far as creativity. You know, getting people excited. You, everybody, we're putting on a show every night when we're open. You know, so wow. Yeah, and that's one question I was going to ask, Hunter. Um, being from a music background, do you guys have a lot of different live music acts coming in and out? So we don't do live music at all. Okay. Because um, we don't want to deal with musicians. Because <laughs> 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 we're, we're notorious pains in the ass, you know what I mean? It's so, very we, true. But we do have two doors down from Lucky um, – we have a, a great little listening room that holds about 120 people. And, uh, you know, we've had some really like Colin Hay from minute work has played there. You know, we've had some cool, cool artists come through and then they come in the restaurant 
And, uh, and one thing I should mention is both restaurants are on the same street. They're within like 50 yards of each other. Wow. And so that way we, we were able to like kind of keep an eye on them both, you know, but, uh, well, Hunter, I want to, I, I've had the, the good fortune of being in a restaurant a few times. And, uh, you know, one thing that always struck me about it is that it is an incredible experience. As soon as you come through the doors of Lucky or Fortinato, uh, and even Stellina, you're kind of transported, uh, into a different experience. It, it still feels like Roanoke, but mm-hmm it really takes on a whole new experience. So can you, can you kind of and talk to me a little bit about as a restaurateur, how you went about building your restaurant experience and you can start with lucky or both or, you know, however you want to take it. That's a, that's a good question. Like, you know, we took elements of things that we, we saw as far as like the building of the restaurants, the build out, like the, you know, the, the, the atmosphere and the vibe, like we spend a lot of time thinking about, about that. Like if we, if, if you don't get that right, if you do not get the atmosphere and the vibe, correct, you're just putting yourself at a disadvantage from day one when you open, you know? So we spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, and then, you know, uh, for example, you know, like, uh, at lucky, we made sure that, it's a kind of a shotgun room, you know, and we have a 16 seat bar, their booze on the other side of the bar. There's only like four feet of separation between the bar and the booze. So we, we built the booze up eight inches off the ground so that people are sitting at the same height as everyone sitting at the bar. We didn't want people to feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. seated below, you know? Yeah. And, and as far as the vibe, like basically we wanted to open a place that we would want to go hang out in. You know, okay, and and we went and like at the time when we opened, people thought we were insane that we didn't have TVs. They're like, "You're never gonna make it." And we were like, "Well, if we don't. We'll just do something else because we're never gonna have a TV in any, you know in any of our places." Because we really wow. wanted we really wanted people to come in and socialize and talk to one another. You know, okay. So, wow. That's it. So it's an incredible answer. And obviously, you know, the Roanokers have really uh, responded to it and they kind of cling to it now as uh, it kind of becomes their their place and a place they want to they want to show off and they want to represent. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about just how the how the young generation, the millennial generation is just really just link themselves to your restaurant and were you were you surprised at the response uh, that was was that great oh i mean i was surprised that anyone came at all <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah yeah no i mean really honestly we you know one of the things that we talk about a lot is one of the only places where you go and you get people of all ages all races, nationalities, you know, everything is the grocery store. It's really the only place where everyone kind of interacts because they're, you know, and we wanted to make sure that anyone that came in our restaurants felt comfortable being here, whether you're a, you know, 22 year old, you know, just out of college or a 70 year old retired person, you know? And so that was one thing that, you know, we always, we talk, we talk about with our staff a lot, you know, I mean, the, the, it's hospitality. It's like, 
the hospitality is the key to why we've been successful and people have felt comfortable coming in. It's like, if people don't want to, if people want to work for us, they have to be nice and they have to go above and beyond and think about what the guest needs before the guest needs it. You know, mm. if not, they're not going to be successful here. They're going to get, yeah, so when you guys were originally crafting um, these restaurants, did you and JD, uh, or my bad, did you and uh, JP mm-hmm. uh, do all the design um, yourself, or did you bring some specialists in, or how did that uh, work? So we did um, we did a lot of the design, you know, came up with a lot of the design concepts. and uh, we. But we also had a really great friend uh, named Mickey Nelson, who unfortunately passed away last year during COVID, um, uh, who was this really, really cool, older, eccentric, uh, interior designer who was also a musician. So we could all kind of relate to one another mm-hmm. and he would like, we would talk to him about things that ideas and things that we saw and, and that we had, and he was able to actually make them come to life, you know? And so, yeah, we, while we did help, we did, come up with a lot of the concepts we did have someone to help us you know picking colors paint colors and this and that you know and also tell us if our like if we had an idea was was like uh, not great <laughs> right what advice could you give to somebody that's looking to start a restaurant in the industry um i would say that first and foremost um you got to realize that it's a way of life and, and if you're not willing for it to be your way of life, you probably shouldn't get in this business, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least, yeah. I mean, eventually you get to a point where you can, you know, you, if you're successful with it, you can build your business up and then you can not have to be there all the time, you know, but quite honestly, you know, the first five, six years, you need to be in the restaurant at all times, mm-hmm. you know as an owner, um, at least one of the partners, you know, needs to be there. And so that would be my biggest piece of advice. You know, when people ask me, say to me, you know, I'm thinking about opening a restaurant. I say, well, I ask them a series of questions. The first of which is like, well, so do you like being at home on Friday and Saturday nights? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, mm, you know, that's a red flag. How about, uh, you know, I know you have a you have little kids. You're willing to miss you know birthdays and things like that. You know for a few years. No, when well, you shouldn't get in the restaurant business. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's it is a way of life, and you it's a fight, and you know uh, you basically just have to be willing to to kind of give up everything to get it going and to to get it to where it's on its own on a, on its own feet. You know. Hunter, I wanted to ask you a little bit, uh, and you mentioned that you were, you know, really being involved for the past, past, uh, you know, initial five or six years. What what role did you play um, when you said you worked in the restaurant? What what area of the uh, of the restaurant did you did you align yourself with? So you know, we wanted to have a really, you know, we we wanted to have a, I wanted to have a cocktail program that not competing with other places in Roanoke. I wanted to create a cocktail program where. If someone came in from Miami, L.A., Portland, Oregon, New York, into our place, they were like, "Man, this is a legit, this is a legit cocktail bar." Mm-hmm. And 
So I took it upon myself to become that. I wanted to create that program. And so the really the year and a half before we opened, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, I traveled a lot. Um, of course, I, I, what I did is I identified, this is like 2008. I identified people in the industry that were, you know, the ones that were really championing, championing, championing the idea of craft cocktails, you know, Dale DeGroff, uh, Jeffrey Morgenthaler, all these people. And I would fly to their city and sit at their bar and watch them work. Wow. And, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't know I was there, but, and so then I started the lucky cocktail program and then I would travel uh, to make sure that what I was doing was like on par with what other people were doing. And, and it was always a really nice feeling to come back from a trip and be like, guys, you know what, we're doing a good job. You know, we're, we're set. We're definitely setting the trend here in Virginia, but yeah. I feel like we're doing, you know, I feel like if Jeffrey Morgenthaler walked into lucky right now, that he would be like, all right, man, this place is good, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was my job role. I mean, I, I attended bar uh, five, six nights a week for about four years until we opened Fortunato. And then I was forced. I mean, my true love is bartending. But as an owner, it got to a point when we were trying to expand. I could no longer play that role anymore. I had to, you know, I was going to have a whole nother cocktail program to have to, to deal with people to train. And so that that was that was my job role in the beginning. So, and, and subsequently now with COVID happening, I, I've gotten back behind the bar. So I'm just because we're, we are a little short staff. But yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, you know, Hunter, how tell, can you tell me a little bit, you touched on it a little briefly. Can you tell me a little bit about your training program? Because, you know, the, the cocktail menu that you're producing night in night out and the things that you're coming up with, you're right. They are really on par with a lot of the major cities and, and the cocktail programs in the country. You know, what's the what's the training program like? How extensive it is? Can you kind of get into that a little bit? I am really, you know, the, the good thing about Roanoke is, you know, there's there aren't a lot of places that there, there are a few places trying to do cocktails at a certain level. And so I've been very fortunate, I, you know, to when people move here from other cities that have worked in the you know, the cocktail, you know, craft, I hate the word craft cocktail. Yeah. I don't like it. What other, what else, what other word can we use? Huh? I don't know, man. I just don't like, <laughs> you know, something other than that, you know, yeah, but, it's played yeah, out. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, people come to town. I often, I would get those people to come and see me and want to work with me, you know? And so as far as the training program back then, mm-hmm. it would be, I would have those folks, work with me one-on-one for, for about a month, um, where they didn't really make drinks. They just were standing right next to me while I worked. And then the next month after that, we would switch spots and I would stand, I would be there right there with them and talk to them about why, why I do things a certain way, why I like things done a certain way. And, uh, you know, just, basically give them like everything, everything that we do behind the bar, there's a reason why we do it a certain way. And just to try to explain it to them, you know, um, I've 
really fortunate right now. I have one of the best bartenders I've ever worked with in my life. Taylor Mann has been working with me now for four years. Wow. And he, not only is he a great bartender, but he is extremely creative. And um, that's been a really nice, that's been super helpful to me because for the longest time I was having to be responsible for three cocktail lists, you know? Oof. Yeah. Imagine that. And, yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, and so now I, 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 you know, he's, he's doing an amazing job. He's pretty much responsible now for like, he, he will be the one that is like, okay, it's time to, to do a change of a cocktail list change. And so now it's great. He'll be like, Hunter, he'll give me specific things he wants me to do for the list. He'll be like, I need a stirred tequila drink, you know? And, and so we'll divide and conquer, you know, eight, an eight, you know, cocktails on the list, cocktail menu. So, wow. But yeah, so, but training wise, yeah, it was, it's a, unfortunately at the time, you know, it was, uh, but it was very hands-on um, with me. So, um, and then after we opened Fortunato, I worked up there with those bartenders for about four months. Um, one, you know, and then when Stellina opened, I I actually was the bartender in Stellina for the first two months um, that we were open, and because I wanted to kind of get get a feel of how the place was, you know? Yeah. And then I was able, able to take bartenders from in Fortunato and put them in, plug them in play. So. Wow. Wow. Now, is it very similar uh, as far as the, uh, you know, the, the culinary side of it, uh, mm-hmm. is there, is there kind of similar training programs that, that exist? Is it really your executive chef that drives that? Yes. Yeah. So the, the head chefs are, 100 percent responsible for our men, our like food menus. They, those guys don't want me in the kitchen cooking food. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I do, so I do all I do create like I I spend um, not right now, but before COVID happened, I was spending ten to twelve hours a week in the kitchen, um, just wow. work, working on stuff for our cocktail programs. You know, like we make I try to make pretty much as as many ingredients as I can in house, you know, from tonic to ginger beer to bitters to, you know, you name it. Um, so, so Hunter, do all three of your establishments offer uh, food options? Yes. Yeah. So the Stellina is kind of a smoke and mirror. Um, in Virginia, you can't have just a bar without selling food, you know? Um, but Stellina feels like you're in a whole different business. Mm-hmm. And so we were, were able, because it is part of Fortunato, we're able to use the Fortunato food sales uh, for the wow. food sale purposes of, a, of you know, the ABC in Virginia. Um, so it's great. But we do offer food in there, you know. Yeah. But it is mainly a cocktail bar. Well, Hunter, one, one of the things interesting about uh – is Selena is that it, it is yeah you're, you're right it is it is part of Fortnite but has a has a different feel to it and I've always wanted to ask you this is that there's a 
in Stellina, behind the bar, there is this beautiful Amazon woman. This painting yeah. of an yeah. Amazon woman. And every time I would go in there, yeah. I'm always struck by it. And it has this 70s, 80s, yeah. like Burt Reynolds gator vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just an I don't know. It's 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 one of these art pieces that when you're there sure. and you're kind of experiencing it, it's just it really kind of for me added to the whole experience. So oh, I've yeah. always wanted to ask you that. Where did you find that beautiful piece? So I pretty much built that bar around that piece. Did um, you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's cool you picked up on that because mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, long story short, it was. You know, I went, I, one of my favorite things one day, you know, when I retire or whatever, I'm going to have my own booth in like one of those like antique mall things. I love that stuff. I love going and walking around and looking at a bunch of shit, you know? <laughs> and I, I was, uh, one day I was, you know, when we were getting ready to, 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 you know, build, like build out Stalina. I saw that that picture. That picture cost sixty bucks wow. at an antique mall. Wow. And then I started doing more research on it, and it turns out that that artist uh, was contracted by what's the big uh, in in London? There's a big uh, 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 like a Macy's type. Oh, um, uh, Christie's. Yeah, some yeah. Christie's in London. Yeah, so they had hired this artist in the '60s to create a series of paintings um, for the for that store, you know, and that was one of the one of the paintings. It's there's a whole series of that same woman. Wow. And, uh, yeah, wild. And my because the whole vibe I was, we were going for in there was like you're in my basement hanging out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like That's a cool basement, man. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, I wish I had that in my face. <laughs> yeah. That bar would be great. You'd never see me. Wow. But uh, yeah, so that's yeah that that whole room kind of came about around that, you know? Because right. we wanted to call it Bert's Bert's Bar. Did you Bert, really? Yeah, for Bert Reynolds because we're all. So, so I was I was spot on with the Bert Reynolds reference. Yeah, they even got that too. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah, it, you know it was like that. 60s, 70s, you know, vibe going on. And I the, loved it. And I, the, I, yeah, and the bar itself um, was is made out of uh, when Old Crow Distillery closed. Oh. Uh, one of the salvage companies around here went and took a lot of the wood, like the timbers, out of the distillery. And they built our bar out of wood, out of Old Crow Distillery. Which Interesting. Is, Wow, that we had a, uh, I will never reveal his name, but freshman year at University of Dayton, uh, this guy lived down the hall from me. His nickname was Old Crow. Oh, man. Because that's all, that's, that's all oh, he did. seemed to want to drink is yeah. every time we saw him, he had a handful of Old Crow in his hand. And sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. That is incredible. I mean, what the amount of work that you put into Hunter, it, it just everything is, it seems to be personalized and there's a story to everything and and it you really can show that it really shows the, the amount of detail and thought that you put into to the entire build out of the restaurant and the concept and that's you just summed up the restaurant industry in a nutshell it's all <laughs> it's all about the little details 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The little details, if you're hitting all the little details, all the big ones just automatically fall in place because you're doing that already. If you're yeah. focusing on all the little things, you know. You seem very knowledgeable and uh, passionate about your restaurants. So what is your favorite thing about owning and operating uh, your bars and restaurants in Roanoke? Um, you know, honestly, I really, uh, this is going to be a, you know, kind of a cheesy answer, uh, I would say, but it's the, it's the honest truth. I really, really enjoy taking care of guests. Mm-hmm. It's a game to me how, how great, you know, service, like the level of service that, that I can give and that we can give my team of people can give. Mm-hmm. And that, that's absolutely my favorite part. I want people to come in and us to, you know, I want to always over deliver. Like, like I don't want a guest to ever want for anything. And, but also I want them to, to have everything that they need, even when they don't realize that they need it. Um, I talk with my staff a lot about that. I'm like, a lot of places don't do that. So often a guest doesn't realize that they would have a better experience if something happened you know, Hmm. that, that we do. And so it's kind of like, you know, make sure that the guests, you're always ahead thinking ahead of what they need. And so, yeah, that definitely the, that is the, the most fun part. And the part that I enjoy the most is the hospitality aspect of it. Hunter. in, in with that, what do you like about running a bar in Roanoke? I've really enjoyed over the years, you know, like, not only educating myself with with what we're doing, but watching other people, like our guests, um, learn as they're going as well, and get excited about it, about making cocktails or enjoying a really great you know whiskey or you know that that to me has been the the really fun part. It, it's also given me the opportunity to do some some things in my life that I never would have imagined that I would do you know um and and be part of things that I you know I'm not a chef you know I I think one if I could go back and do it all again I think I would have liked to have been a chef Hmm. but being a bartender it gave me the opportunity to do Something I'm not saying I'm a chef by any means, but but doing something with beverage like with beverages that similar to what's happening, you know, in the kitchens. And so what what type of uh, you talk a little bit about uh, educating your customers. Is there any other than them coming in the restaurant? Is there anything else that you, that you do or things that you do to educate your customers and enlighten them a little bit? Well, I mean, one, well, when they come in the restaurant, we're very uh we're very good about like, you know, for example, say you came in and you're like, you know, I really wanted to like Japanese whiskeys. You know, I see them. I wish that I could, I've never really tried them, but I, I see them and, and I'm interested in it. One thing that we do is Taylor and I will get down all the Japanese whiskeys and pour, pour you a quarter of an ounce of each one so you can try them, wow. you know, uh, because they're not doing us any good just sitting up on the shelf. You know what You're I mean? Right. If, yeah. And so that's one thing we do um, in during COVID. One of the ways that we made kept the doors open, we did cocktail classes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where okay. it would be 
it was we would do fifteen. It would be fifteen people in a Zoom. You know, we do one on Friday and one on Saturday. We would give you everything that you need to do that class. So you'd come by and pick up your kit. It would have all the bar tools. It would have all the ingredients, all the alcohol. It even come with a cheese board, and it was set up for two people. You know, for like a date type thing, and. We would do these cocktail classes, and it was really, really, really fun. And um, that also, I do a, a cocktail class in Stellina before COVID called Shaken and Stirred, cool. um, where you know I, I, I would do up to uh, 20 people, where it's a bar experience where everyone has their own station set up, and we, we would make you know four cocktails together, and I would. You know, it was really, it was, it's a really fun thing. Hopefully we can get back to that eventually, but. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really, you know, Hunter, I think what I really, uh, love about what you're saying is that you, your staff takes the time to educate your customers and bring down whiskeys. And a lot of times, you know, that's people are in a rush and people want things instantaneously. Does your staff ever feel that pressure that they're, you know, Hey, you know, I'm spending a little time too much with this guy, but, or is it something where your experience kind of just relaxes everybody? Like, how do you kind of handle those, those pushy guests? Interestingly enough, you know, a lot of our guests are, we, we have one of two guests. We have a lot of people that are from out of town that are, you know, coming to Roanoke and staying at the hotel Roanoke. And then we have a lot of repeat, repeat guests. And we, often already know that, you know, they're, they could possibly be, you know, I don't want to use the word difficult or, you know, particular, mm-hmm. let's use the word particular. And so we, we, we know these things. One thing that we do to help, to help prepare ourselves for that, you know, we use open table as our reservation system mm-hmm. at the end of the night, every server, if something stands out to them, they go into the open table under that guest name and they make notes. And then that way, when the guest comes, we can be like, ah, they don't like this person doesn't care for this, you know, but they like, you know, so when they sit down, we are automatically are ahead of the game. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Open table, any, I I assume Resi, all of them have the same features, Mm -hmm. but it's an incredible resource to be able to, to, it sounds a little creepy, you know, that we're keeping, but keeping notes on guests. But mm-hmm. you know, I when I was in college, I worked for uh, this men's clothing store here that had been in business since like eighteen eighty something. Wow! And all the guys that worked there were like, you know, getting close to retirement, and they worked there their whole lives. And they they made their you know they sold a suit, they got a commission. You know, they were commissioned salespeople. And they would all keep these little notepads in their pockets, and they knew everything about every person that came in. They would know, like, son's name of the person, wife's birthday. Like, your wife had a birthday last week, didn't she? Like, <laughs> stuff like that. And the guest is like, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, we, we, that was one thing I learned. And so, we started utilizing the guest notes in Open Table. It's awesome. So, yeah. I highly recommend it to anyone. Wow. That's- Hunter, I, I think that what is interesting here that, you know, I, I've used open table in many of my um, 
uh, restaurants and, you know, it's like the human brain, you know, I, we only use certain percentage of it. And I think there's, there's so many operations that use open table and don't use the guest note file. And mm. that's always been an option. And your, your restaurant and what, you know, your restaurants, you using that file, you are really maximizing the use out of open table and it does have a lot of, uh, a lot of great features. Uh, but sure. it sounds like you're, you're using it, you know, having your staff take that extra step uh, to do that. Like you said, you can kind of manicure their experience the next time they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it keeps it coming back. That's yeah, it. absolutely. And it's helpful to, uh, you know, like for me or, uh, you know, my bartenders, you know, say the guests came in and they, you know, I made them a drink of something that they really, really enjoyed. Um, I can go and if, if it's something that maybe I create, like that I made on the spot for them, I can go in there and, and write it down and, and open table. So then I don't forget it. You know, wow. he, I can write it in my book, but that I keep behind the bar. But, you know, I'm horrible with people's names. Like I can remember what you drink and this and that. But as soon as someone tells me their name, it's like, <laughs> right. And, and it, it's something that I've never really been great at, but I can remember what, people eat and drink. <laughs> you know, I, I use, I use open table. It's great, you know, um, for that purpose. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I like, especially if you know, somebody's like a bourbon drinker or a gin drinker, and then you have a new, uh, you have a new bottle coming in you're like, Hey, maybe try some of this. Yeah. Or, like yeah. that'd be, yeah, I've, I've never had a bartender or anybody do something like that, but that'd be amazing that you, you know, you take the notes and you realize that somebody enjoys that and then get some new product in like, it's that extra step that I feel like would keep a lot of people coming back. Oh man. It's all about making the guests feel special, you know, and being genuine about it. Not just, you know, just being aware of what they like. You can, you can, you know, you can create guest loyalty like right away from that, you know, Um, you know, and then on the the other side too, you know, uh, and I don't want to change subjects, on you guys because you guys are asking me the questions yeah go ahead <laughs> but you know one thing that you got to stay in tune to as well is like if someone does have a complaint or an issue you know not to just dismiss it you know sometimes no matter what you do it's not gonna fit, you know the ran the, the rare times that you have an issue sometimes you're not going to be able to fix that problem mm-hmm. but you know, I, I like to use a specific example. One of my best customers that I have at Lucky, she has been coming here since we opened. Well, her first time that she came here, she had a horrible experience. You know, like this is when we were we had just opened. We didn't know what we were doing, you know. <laughs> and but she and she posted something about it on Twitter, you know. And I I like you know, direct messaged her and said, you know, I saw what you said and I am, I'm really, really sorry. And I sent her a gift certificate for like $150, you know? Wow. wow. And, you know, to this day, she's probably our most, like she's one of our most loyal customers. And she's, you know, she's like really big on the social medias. She's mm-hmm. constantly, you know, promoting our businesses with her social media and like, and I just like said, you know what? She doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, we're doing everything perfect. Yeah. I would have lost that lifelong customer. Yep. Yeah. Interesting story. Her brother's a really great bartender is moving to Roanoke and 
he's gonna be coming to work for me. So wow, yep, yeah. Your the ROI on that is incredible, Hunter. I mean, you you basically made her an organic salesman for your for or salesperson <laughs> for your bar. Sure, it, you know, and it hurts when you get bad feedback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you never want to get the bad feedback, but you just got to do what you can. You know, just never know what's going to come out of it. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good point. You and you never know who's walking in your bar, and and you know, you, you never know who your customers are and, and who they'll turn out to be. And and uh, sounds yeah. like you and your staff take the steps to make sure that everyone isn't just the first, it's not just the first and last time for them that they yeah. want returners. You never know because like uh, a really good example of that is I, you know, one night I had a guy came in and I, you know, any busy, you know, any night I'm just working the bar bartending and then I get an email from him like the next week and he's like, Hey, uh, I'm so-and-so and I work for Southern living and I'm writing a book about bourbon and bacon, and uh, I'd like for you to submit a cocktail recipe for the book. Wow. Like, I had no idea who this person was, you know? And so then I submitted it, and, you know, and then Morgan was like, uh, he called me one day. He's like, hey, man, I just want you to know your cocktail's in the book. Uh, it's kind of buried deep in the book, and it, the picture's kind of small, you know? And then I get a copy of the book in the in the mail and I open it up. Ah, he was messing with me. The first cocktail in the book was mine, and it was a whole picture. Wow! It was a whole page. Yeah, Roanoke, Virginia. <laughs> it awesome was that. Yeah, it was awesome because I was in. We were in there with like you know the silver dollar out of Louisville and all these yeah all these great like you know bourbon cocktail bars. It was it was pretty rad. Man. That is a great story. So Hunter, we haven't uh, we haven't talked about your cocktails much. If somebody was to come into your bar for the first time, uh, what cocktail would you recommend for them? Um, well, you know, it depends. Like, if they so if, if it's a spirit, you know, say they want something stirred like a spirit forward cocktail. Uh, my absolute favorite classic cocktail is a Vucare. You know, mm. um, so I would make them a Vucare um, to start. Uh, if they wanted something like, if they wanted something like me to like one of my drinks that, you know, I would do something, you know, stirred in that, you know, but the Vucare is, uh, you know, I, is the cocktail that I often start people off with. They're like, make me something whiskey related, you know? Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, Hunter, I, I'm, I'm, I have to ask about it cause I, I want people to know about it. Um, can we talk about the cube? Yeah, sure. Um, so the cube is like one of those things that like took on a life of its own, you know, but it was like about eight years ago, uh, my co-bartender at the time, Brittany Jones and I, we, um, we were just getting pummeled on Friday and Saturday nights, you know, like, and, uh, I was like thinking about it one day, I was like, it'd be awesome if we, if I could come up with something that where I did the work on Wednesday and then we could do it really quickly on Fridays and Saturdays to help with ticket times and things like that. And I was like, I always wanted to do a drink where the ice cube was the actual mixer, mm-hmm. you know, in the cocktail. Yeah. And so I was thinking about like, well, you know, what's kind of the, the ultimate bourbon cocktail to me 
is a bourbon and ginger. Okay. You can drink it in the summer. You can drink it in the winter. You know, mm-hmm. kind of will fit the bill at any time. So I was like, why not do something with ginger in it? And then I was like, all right, well, what about apples? And so then I started, came up with this idea. And I so I juiced a bunch of gala apples and ginger root. And then I cooked it with a bunch of spices, cinnamon, cardamom, clove, juniper, hibiscus, yeah, you know, yeah, other things. And then I slightly sweetened it and I froze it into a big giant ice cube. And so we serve it in a uh, glass, a chilled glass that's smoked with applewood and just throw a couple ounces of small batch bourbon on there. And man, like it was one of those things where I made like the first weekend I'd made like 50 of those for the Friday and Saturday and we sold all of them, you know, and I was like, wow, okay. That's cool. And so I was making them for the weekend and then we started getting like bad Yelp reviews because it'd be like, well, I went to Lucky on Monday night and uh, they were out of the queue. You know, well, this, by the way, this drink has never been on a menu. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> never on a menu. You know, and it's like, so then I realized like, okay, I've got to start making these, um, you know, so that we make enough so that we have them every, for every day of the week. And we, we sell about 150 a week now. Wow. Yeah. And it's never been on the menu. Never been on the menu. Um, and, and it's a lot of word of mouth. Like, you know, if someone's staying at the Hotel Roanoke, they'll be like, hey, go over to Lucky and get a queue. And people will be like, what? You know, <laughs> concierge will just be like, yeah, just trust me. Just go do it, you know. Wow. And uh, during, during COVID, the queue, you know, we were selling them without the alcohol. Um, and then in the month of April, like that first April during COVID, I sold 2,500. Cubes. <laughs> yeah. Just a cube. Yeah, I was making them every freaking day, man. <laughs> so yeah, I, was, I was in the kitchen cooking every day. like, And just and I couldn't keep up with the demand. I could have sold probably double that had I had. Had oh I had. God. You know? Yeah. So, so and at, five, at $5 a piece, you can do the math on that. Yeah, I can do it. I'm doing it in my head right now. Pretty good for <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, for, but so yeah. when you say you were selling them without alcohol, were you just having people put in the liquor themselves? Yeah, without? yeah. So at the time, the state of Virginia wasn't a lot. It eventually they said we could do you know cocktails to go, mm-hmm. but at that time they weren't. So people were like sitting at home, like just jonesing for something. Yeah, you know? and so they could just sit sit at home. They would come by. You know, we'd take them out to their car curbside and, you know, they'd go home and it was great. It was really fun. They'd post their photos of the, you know, the Instagram stuff. And it made me feel, made us all feel really good. People had at least something to get through all that fiasco we went through. Ah, yeah. Well, you know, I I didn't want to touch on too much, but we can talk about real quick, like the ugly truth of COVID. Do you think, and I'll ask it in this way, do you think, COVID has made you uh, a more adaptable businessman or do you think it just was a complete absolute hindrance on you? No, I mean, yeah, we, we uh, opened each restaurant five different ways during COVID. Jeez. Yeah. And uh, so talk, yeah, we hustled, man. It was like about adapting um, what it, what it did for me and really I did for, like my staff, we, we were able to keep seven core 
employees at each restaurant fully employed through the whole pandemic, you know, because wow. I knew that once we reopened, we had to have people to work. Yeah. And, uh, but I think the one thing that it had, the people that were part of all that with, with, you know, with me and my business partners, it created an appreciation of what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. And it, it like, is like, man, let's not screw this up because all the things that we had to do to, you know, to survive through that, I don't ever want to have to do those again. You know, yeah. I want to do what we're doing now and I don't, you know, I want to make sure that what we're doing now is the best that we can because we don't want to have to go back to doing takeout and doing, you know, outdoor dining. And I mean, it yeah. was wild. Like we set, I set up a restaurant outside Oof. for three months under tents, Oof. you know, and we would walk 20,000 steps a night in 90 degree heat, 95, you know, Jeez. And it was like, man, it made us really appreciate what we had prior to all that, you know? Yeah. It's real, real, real grateful. And it is, it, it was, it was a really, t it still is a tough thing on restaurants right now, but sure. I think it's an, an amazing story that you can tell that you were able to keep, you said seven and seven, so 14 people mm -hmm. gainfully employed and you made an impact into those people's uh, lives and you've kept them working and, uh, you know, that's, there's something to be said there. You know, you definitely changed a, a, a few people's lives, which is really great. Yeah. And they changed mine too, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have to admit, like I have, I definitely have, I don't want to call it PTSD, Yeah. but that was such a stressful time from, from the owner perspective. You know, I do have anxiety now because of it, you know, like, right. Yeah, Sunday nights, man, I couldn't wait for Monday to come to go to work, you know? Yeah. Couldn't wait. Yeah. And now I get like I get like nervous and I get you know. Jeez. Yeah, cuz I mean, it was crazy, John, like we I would sit in my yard and be like, "Man, I don't know if I'm going to have a business in a year." Jeez. Yeah. Went from having two very two restaurants that were doing great I'd signed a lease on the third restaurant that we were going to open the week before COVID hit wow. to having to lay off a bunch of people that I loved to death and not knowing if I was going to be able to, you know, make my car payments and stuff. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. And people think that the restaurant industry, and you guys know this, mm -hmm. but the majority of people don't realize that just because we're allowed to have people back in, dining and restrictions are lifted things aren't back to normal mm -hmm. at all but people in their minds like think that it is and it's not no because like we can only i don't have enough staff to be open the amount of hours that we used to be right now yeah so it's like but you're kind of doing doing what well what about a little bit about Hunter, uh, uh, what do you think are some keys that your your social media platforms? I think I mentioned to you this when we were talking about doing the podcast with you. Your social media platforms are always really on point. They're really well done. They're updated. You know, wh what do you think are some just a few keys you'd want to give these send the listeners on, on on marketing restaurants? I think that if you can afford to have a social media company to handle that for you, okay, like we do, um, you. 
do that. Okay. It was like, it, it'll be way more consistent. Like, yeah, I could do a lot of the things that, that our, our social media team do for us, but it's not going to be consistent. You know, like I might post something one day and forget for like, you know, um, that was one of the things that I like, I was like wanted to have taken off the table to where it was more uniform, more thought out, not just, Oh man, this would be a great post right now. You know? So that, that's what we did. I mean, and they, by the way, they both are like really great friends and customers I've known for years. Oh, okay. So they understand. Yeah, one guy is called the Hungry Asian, John Park. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Like he's a social media, I guess we'd call it influencer or whatever oh, for okay. food. Um, but uh, you know, that's what we did. It and it definitely made things a lot better. For I mean, you're saying that you you enjoy it, and that's great. So. Yeah, and they're local, and you said they're local, so they're they're previous customers or current customers that you've hired to run your accounts. Yes. Yes. Wow. And it's, and it's, it's very affordable too. like what they charge us. It's not a crazy amount of money. It's, I feel like we, we definitely get what we pay for and then some. So yeah. that's great advice. Yeah. It's definitely, it's great to be consistent in that industry. Cause like you said, sometimes, um, bars and restaurants, you know, they may post three or four times in a row, three or four days in a row then not post for two weeks or mm-hmm. something. Cause they get super mm-hmm. busy. So when you have that social media person, you're able to just, you know, maybe send them a few pictures here and there and they can post consistently uh, every day or every other day or whatever uh, well, their schedule is. And the, the other thing that they bring to the table is that they stay on top of it. Like if someone has a question mm-hmm. or a comment or, you know, and they, they don't like if they, if they, if there's something that I need to respond to, they send it to me and tell me I need to respond to this. Right. You know, instead of it letting it go for a couple of days or this or that, you know, so highly recommend working with if you can find a good a good group that's not going to, you know, kill you on price. It's worth it. Yeah. And Hunter, while we're kind of on the topic, um, where can people find you and your restaurants on social media? Uh, so um, at uh, Lucky Roanoke, but, you know, on Facebook, it's at, you know, Facebook slash Lucky Roanoke. Uh, our websites eat at lucky.com do, do people use websites anymore <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Instagram's the same it's lucky Roanoke and uh, same for Fortunato it's Fortunato Roanoke yeah is it is it interesting uh, having two restaurants down the street from each other I mean that's do you, do you, do you find yourself just kind of taking one product flour from one restaurant to, into another or how, what's well, that dynamic like? Yeah. Sometimes we do that. Okay. But there's also a nice little level of uh, competitiveness between the two places. Oh, okay. And it's not, out of, it's not out of spite or mean, you know, it's not mean spirited, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where, you know, they, you know, chef doesn't want to borrow something from chef down the street, you know, yeah. he's a chef down the street. They didn't, you know, he forgot to order something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Friendly competition. Yeah. yeah. It's a friendly, a very friendly competition. But when we're in a time where, where somebody really needs something, by all means, yeah, we, we definitely help each other out. And, you know, so that, 
for me, it's been nice. It's 200 steps between each restaurant. Um, I know that because each way because of my watch, my Apple watch. So, get a little exercise. Yep. you know, yeah. get a little exercise, but, uh, you know, it's great. Cause I can, I can be here at lucky and then walk down there for, for a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, wow. Well, they're both questioning about real estate. So they're both in, in, you know, um, Fort Niles on the corner and, uh, lucky is on a side street. That's kind of tucked away in a, in a cool little area uh, near downtown, right in downtown. You know, wh- what is what does the word real estate mean to you when it comes to restaurants and how it relates to your, to your places? When we opened Lucky, uh, you know, almost 11 years ago, on our street, once you got past us, it was pitch black. Okay. All the buildings were vacant and falling down, you know. But we, we really liked the location here for a couple reasons. Um, we liked the fact that it was kind of on a side street, mm-hmm. like almost like an alleyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there was a parking lot right across the street from us, which we thought, okay, well then, you know, people won't have to walk very far. They can't have an excuse about having parking issues, you know? And then we had the music venue a couple doors down. So those were like the selling points okay. for us on that, you know? And, okay. And at the time, the market area in in Roanoke, there's like our, it's a city, but it's more, it's a town. We'll yeah. just call it the way it really is. Yeah. Um, there's a, the central area is like where all the bars and the restaurants are. There's a couple museums, things like that. Um, gets a little wild down there, you know? <laughs> and so we, yeah. In the sense of what, when you say wild, what do you mean wild? Uh, you know, I mean like college people getting, you know, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of get her done spots, which I have. <laughs> dude, which, Good we, way for get her done. I know exactly I, what you mean. There's get her done spots. Yeah, okay. I'm not opposed to you know. No, we all want to get her done. Yes, getting 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 it done, getting you know like, um, but it gets a little wild, and so we were like wanted to be in a, maybe a little bit of a quieter spot. Yeah, and create our own thing, like create our own vibe. You know what I mean? And yes. so we. That's why we chose Lucky, and then subsequently our street started to get life going on with mm-hmm. it. You know? And then um, we have a different uh, person developer that we did Fortunato with than Lucky, mm. and he's based out of Richmond, Virginia. Um, and he is former restaurant owner, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, he owned a bunch of places. Great. His name's Bill Chapman. He's a great dude. But anyway, okay. he uh, he sought us out. He was doing the Fortunato building. He was putting in, you know, 168 apartments upstairs. Ooh. And he, he came in one night and he said, he said, uh, I want to talk to you. And I said, sure. And he goes, I, I want you guys to put a restaurant in on the corner down here. And he's like, I don't want anyone else going in there. Other, just you guys. You wow. Know? And the f- coolest thing about all that is JP and I, we'd get off work and we would, you know, JP lives around the corner from where Fortunato is. Oh, okay. And we would stand stand on that corner and be like, man, that is like the perfect place for a restaurant on that corner. Big mm-hmm. night windows and we could see it. Yeah. Wow, that's so really the compliment the, that they uh, the guy uh, you said his name is Bill Jeff uh, Bill Jeff, is that correct? Uh, Chapman. Sorry, Chapman. Yeah. Uh, that compliment he gave you turned into an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And he was like, I'm willing to wait. 
he's like, if you guys aren't ready to do this now, we'll wait a year. You know? Wow. So, That's, wow. Yeah. Because yeah. they're, I, yeah, I mean, having visited your restaurants, uh, I always, that always struck me is that the locations are really well planned out. They're a good distance from kind of the center, center of the city. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, there ha- there's there has been development kind of around you and, and do you think that's attributed to 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 you driving customers to that area um I, I well I mean I think that that we're just part of the puzzle okay. you know? a lot of things happened over the last 10 years um, I think the the best thing that happened to Roanoke is when the economy went south in 2008 you mm-hmm. know because people like had to scramble and figure out what they were gonna do. Mm-hmm. And so people started, you know, took some risks and bought some buildings and decided, hey, I'm going to develop these buildings. When we opened Lucky, there were only 250 people living downtown. Really? Yep. Now there's close to 4,000. Wow. So wow. That's over 10 times. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a lot of people. It but, is, though. But when you go from that to that, and it's it's a lot of young people now. Yeah. It's great. Like, I love driving used to be you never saw anyone walking around downtown in the mornings at all. Now it's like there are people everywhere. And it's young people, like young professionals, people going to the medical school. And it's, uh, it's Yeah, it really is. I think there was an article, uh, Hunter, that was written about you. Was it the little town that could? Um, there yeah. Was some- yeah, was something aligns with that. Was that was that was that was that the Wall Street Journal? Who wrote that article? It was, uh, the New York Times. The New York Times wrote that article. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've got a big one coming out soon. Uh, oh, okay. With the London Financial Times. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, it's the person's talking about how we navigated through COVID. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you had someone come in and the writer was just in Roanoke and liked what we were, liked what we were doing. And really? Well, when, when will that When will that be out? We'd love, you know, when, when, where can people I, I, find it? JP's already done all the interviews for it. Okay. So I don't know exactly. I can ask him and get back okay. from that. Um, really impressive. And, and they were in they, they were in your restaurant and then saw what you were doing and decided to, like you said, you never know who's walking through your so, doors. Yeah, so the, the, the writer was this younger guy who lives in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just like, I got to get out of Washington, D.C. Yeah. Because, you know, you know he'd been stuck there with, because of COVID. Yeah. And like, uh, he was like, just pick the place on the map and pick Roanoke because it was drivable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He came and ate dinner at like eight 30 at night, which is very metropolitan. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. (laughs) You know, I was like, this guy's fancy. Yeah. He showed up at eight 30. Eating dinner at eight 30. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it was great. He was so nice. And, like, he's just – he was talking to to me a little bit. And then JP was here, and he was talking to him. And then finally he was like, you know, I'm a writer. Mm. I do a story. I want to do a story on you guys. And he wasn't kidding. And then JP's done the uh, interviews. And so – That's awesome. Have you seen – there's been the there's been this great migration now in the, in the country because of COVID. Uh, Hunter, I'm sure you're obviously aware, and you're talking mm. about – People want to get out of major cities. Yeah. Um, do you, have you seen an inf- have you and you talked about young people coming downtown? Have you seen a little bit more of an influx of people 
uh, into the area, maybe DCers who decide, you know, no more DC. We're just going to, we're going to, I'm going to work remote now and live out here. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, of course, there's a housing shortage now here. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the boom. I think it's kind of happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the, like my neighborhood, I live in the city, like houses sell before they even go on the market now. Yep. Um, I live like in this little area called Grandin, which is part of the city, but it's, not like right downtown, mm-hmm. but what, but also what wasn't happening before were all the housing out in the counties, you know, same things happening there, which to me, just showing that people are wanting to move out, you know, out into the country and out away from, and yeah, we, we definitely have a lot of people moving here from, from other places. Wow. And then like, you know, you, as a restaurateur, you know, you're, you're, I think you're offering these people a little slice of of DC or Manhattan because Mm -hmm. you are using them as your comp set. So you said earlier, you don't really try to compete with the other area Roanoke restaurants. You put yourself in competition with these big city restaurants. So when these Mm -hmm. people come, they, you know, they probably feel more comfortable being in your restaurant thinking I could live here. There is, two of these there there is a certain yeah. style of service and experience that that i'm accustomed with and you know i don't have to go to the getter done bar i can just yeah. go to the you know so the we you know we have the virginia tech research institute here now where they're oh, okay. focusing on uh uh one little particular part of the brain that uh because of alzheimer's and um they have uh, they're bringing in teams of doctors to work at this research institute. So they'll bring in a whole team of like 15 people. So it'll be a doctor and all the people that work with this research doctor, you know. Wow. And they, uh, the, the man that's responsible for doing all the recruitment brings them to our restaurants, pretty much specifically just to our places. Wow. Yeah, because he wants to show them that, yeah, they're, they're going to have some – creature comforts that maybe they were used to, mm. you know, that it wasn't, you know, so we, we do, we have a lot of recruitment dinners at each place, you know. Very interesting. Yeah. It's it, it, your, your restaurants are, are real, uh, are real. And I think a lot of places, uh, restaurants can be these, these spots where people business is done, you know, where sure. people mm-hmm. use a restaurant as a representation of a city to show its its high points that this is where on the map or it's this and uh it's interesting that sometimes i think people take restaurants a little bit for granted and mm-hmm. i think at the same time they they're they're a part of their daily lives and they're a part of their uh their ego a little bit sometimes oh absolutely right yeah yeah the city uses uh runic city you know the we have a it's called uh downtown runic incorporated mm-hmm. uh they they invite travel writers to come into town. We we have a we had a group here this past week, and you know they'll be like, "Would you guys mind hosting these travel writers? Uh, you know, we'll buy them, you know, a drink and maybe a something, you know." And they, the city uses all the restaurants as a way to promote Roanoke, you know. Mm-hmm. So Hunter, I know uh, Roanoke. There's a lot of stories behind it. I think John and I have talked a little bit, but do you want to talk about any of the history of Roanoke and kind of how the city came about? 
Um, wow, you put me on the spot here, man. <laughs> <laughs> or just any any okay. fun facts you may know about the city, because I know. Yeah, that was something, Hunter, that a uh, a person that didn't know Rowan about yeah. Roanoke, what they would find interesting about. Yeah, this well, first yeah. first off, we're not the lost colony, Roanoke. <laughs> <laughs> that's a distinction we need to make. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's kind of. No, so Roanoke, uh, at one time, um, you know, the major industry here was the rail railroad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Norfolk Southern was here. And, you know, back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, down like Roanoke, the little city here was kind of, it was thriving. You know, they they had Mm a trolley system, things like that. It was, it's wild to see photos, people just everywhere out on the streets, Mm -hmm. like businesses, Business after business after business, after, you know, and it was because we were a uh, rail town. And um, and then eventually, you know, things changed and, and the industry changed. And we went through this period of where the city, like, Roanoke wasn't doing great, you know, in the 80s, like, 80s, 90s. Some some of the people that were in charge of our, like, like I guess in the eighties, mid eighties, there was a group of business people and political leaders that got together and put together a plan about how they were going to try to turn, make the city more attractive to, to industry and for people to come here. And uh, one of the things they did is they first thing they did was build a greenway. So we have like a greenway that now connects from like from Roanoke all the way to Blacksburg, Virginia, which is 40, 30 miles. You can ride a bike. You can ride a bike by a river pretty much. <laughs> wow for 30 that's amazing yeah. 30 yeah, oh, yeah 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 it's it's crazy and so it's it's people use it for exercise you know um and then uh we this we also uh those people started you know marketing the idea of this being a great place to go hiking and mountain biking mm-hmm. we're we, we carry a rating a mount we have a mountain bike rating that's the same as uh denver colorado wow uh, I don't know the like specifics, like, but it's uh, like considered one of the three have this ranking. There are only three places in the country that have it, and Roanoke's one of those places. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the outdoor aspect has, was really promoted um, to grow the city. You know, there's yeah. a marketing tourism tourism thing, and then uh, the uh, healthcare industry really took off. You know, we talked about the research mm-hmm. institute, but we have Carillion Healthcare here. Um, we have a medical school here now, and uh, that's been the driver recently. But that's pretty much all I know about the history of Roanoke. I'm sorry. That's pretty. That, that, that's pretty great. Uh, you know, uh, I should have gotten the Wikipedia out, and I could have just. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Hunter, with Roanoke being a little older city, do you have any uh, good ghost stories from your restaurant or any places uh, you've been in the city? It's funny you should ask because uh, uh, Lucky's haunted as shit, man. <laughs> is it really? Uh, no, it is. It's uh, I. So it was built in 1901. Okay. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, it's definitely uh, I've had multiple experiences here. It's definitely a female ghost, uh, and uh, I've seen a couple things that I can't explain. You know. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely uh, this. Maybe we shouldn't say this because then people might be afraid to come here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to conjure her up. But yeah, it's definitely uh, like one night I was closing up and I was here by myself and I 
I felt I just didn't feel like I was by myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I go over to lock the door, and I turn the lights out, and you know the, the computers are are have timed out. The point of sales have timed out, gone to black screen, you know. And I just said something like, you know, if somebody's here right now. Go ahead and do something. You know what I mean? And I, sh- I kid you not, both POS screens came on. Really? And, and the messed up part about all it was, I realized I'd left my keys behind the bar. <laughs> I had to walk back around where both point of sale systems were and get my keys, man. Oh, I feel like you might have been running more than walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran. <laughs> so, but I've had I've had other things happen. Now, why do you think you said it was female? You think it's female? Why do you think it's female? One morning, I was here at like ten thirty. I was in the kitchen doing prep, and I was pretty sure I'd locked all the doors when I came in, but I, you know, I wasn't one hundred percent. And I'm like, got my back to the to the restaurant and I'm in the kitchen like cooking on the stove and I heard a woman talking in the restaurant and I was like you know well that's weird I thought I locked the doors and I go I walk out and there's no one but I go and the doors are locked you know so I go back to uh I was cooking there at the stove and next to the stove to the right is a doorway down the hallway to the bathrooms and out of the corner of my eye, I saw a like a five foot flash of light, tall flash of light go down the hallway, like at a walking pace. Yeah, and so I was like, "Damn, I knew it was a woman haunting okay. me. I knew that it was gonna be what haunts me forever." Wow. Yeah, there's a female ghost, I think. I don't know. These are, I mean, this may be, Joe, you asked the question. This may be the best ghost stories I've heard. Oh, yeah, yeah. We asked this question to a, a good percentage of our guests, and that's definitely top uh, This has got to be top three. Bet. I mean, you two yeah. stories right after, one after another that were really, really, really. I got well, chills after the first. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, and people that work here, that they've had similar experiences, you know, because they all think I'm crazy. Yeah. Like, I'm telling this yeah. stuff. <laughs> They're like, oh, Hunter, he's, you know. Our old chef, so our, our old head chef is now the head. He started like he's the head chef at Fortunato, you know. Mm-hmm. And he would come in and he downloaded a ghost app on his phone to make fun of me. And he'd be like, oh, Hunter, it's one right over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait till it gets you. This yeah. way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh. Thanks for being here, Hunter. Appreciate it, man. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for asking me to do this. I've enjoyed it. Really enjoyed this. Today. All right, After Hours Nation. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to stay updated, you can check out our site at afterhourscast.com. Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday morning for our next episode. After Hours Nation, stay thirsty, my friends.